happy Labor Day. If you are enjoying a long weekend or if you are a person who has limited hours that you are legally allowed to work or you have legally mandated breaks at work or they don't lock the doors to your workplace when you walk in, then thank a union member because it was unions who fought for that and it is unions that we celebrate today. Don't get it twisted. It's not all laborers. It's unions. And on that topic, today I want to talk about becoming liberal after leaving the church. I guess, honestly, really, I became liberal gradually, and it started before I left the church, but... In America, there is this inextricably linked tie between right-wing conservative political ideologies and the evangelical church, and we're going to talk about it today. As always, check the episode description for content and trigger warnings before proceeding, and let's get into it. So if you've listened to my podcast at all, you know that I was raised very evangelical, extremist, right-wing conservative Christian. And as extremist as my parents' viewpoints were, and as extremist as the viewpoints of the few people they chose to associate with were, as awkward and uncomfortable as it is for me to admit it, they really weren't in the minority per se. They had some fringe beliefs that were in the minority, for sure, but not the majority of their beliefs. The majority of their beliefs were held by the majority of the populace surrounding them. And It was really weird for me to realize that because I grew up with this belief system that we were like Elijah retreating into the cave. Like, there's none left, Lord. It's only us. No one else believes these things. No one else wants to follow you. But in reality, it was like Joshua in the cave and the Lord was like, yeah, there's like a whole bunch. You just don't know about them. And that's on living in isolation. But I grew up with this mentality that we were like in this extreme minority. And like if anybody really knew what we believed that we would be persecuted and maybe killed for our beliefs. Because we were so dedicated and committed to really following the truth and people just don't want to follow the truth like the world is out there trying to squash the truth and growing up maturing and getting out into the world i was like wait a minute what is this and 
Facebook memories, they will get you every time if you're on social media. And so I, I kind of cut it off around 2019, 2020 when the scrolling back looking at the memories for the most part now. But sometimes I keep going further. I'm like, let's see how far I've come. And when it hits around 2009 to 2011 time frame, I'm just like, woof. Who even is this person posting? So I'm going to share a status update from a few days and 14 years ago that I discovered while scrolling through my Facebook memories. And this was my, I think, second year of college at this point. And I was taking this online logic course. Um, I started off going to a community college and then I end up ended up taking a lot of online courses. I didn't like online courses. I don't do well in online courses, but my dad forced me to take online courses because he didn't want me away from the house that much. And that's the first time I've really acknowledged that that was a thing that happened. Uh, so you get to unpack that with me, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, he, uh, he didn't like me being away from the house a whole lot, so he told me I had to take online courses, um, because we had high-speed internet, and I had a really nice computer that he had bought me, so there was no reason for me to drive all the way to college. Um, so I was taking this online logic course, and this is what I posted. I'm beginning to hate this logic course. Every sample argument is against God, religion, or capitalism. I'm looking forward to the next assignment where we publicly post an argument. I'm thinking something about textbooks slash college courses and hidden agendas. Dot dot dot. Big smiley face. You may all cringe at that. I cringed when I read it. Um... I read it and I was like, oh, I was so close. I was so close. I like almost had it right there. Huh. Funny. Logic. Logic and logical arguments are against God, religion, and capitalism. Huh. Why do they have a hidden agenda? Why do they? Maybe. It's because these things aren't logical. I was so close to getting it, and yet I missed it. And I have an episode coming up in the near future that's going to be about college and Christianity. So don't miss that one, um, because we'll unpack this a little more there. But these things were, I thought going to be tools in my gigantic toolbox of how to fight the world when you're Christian and right-wing because the world is out to get you. And it's not so much that the world is out to get you, it's that you are opposed to everything that keeps the world flowing in a harmonious state. And so you are the sandpaper on skin. They think they're the sandpaper on wood, but they are the sandpaper on skin. They are opposed to everything that creates a harmonious society. 
They cannot live and let live. Everyone has to be living in accordance with their beliefs. Don't believe me? Think I'm being extreme in this statement? Okay. Alcohol sales on Sundays. Oh, is that a problem where you live? Huh. I wonder whose idea that was. Okay, what about um, gay marriage in your state? Is it a problem? Huh. I wonder whose idea that was. What about access to abortion or just women's health care in general? Like a woman wanting a hysterectomy. How's that in your state? Is it a problem? I wonder whose idea that was. See, Christians like to say, oh, everyone wants us to live and let live for them, but they won't let us do that. But their idea of letting them live and let live is that they get to make the laws match their religion. And I didn't realize this until I was well into adulthood. And once I realized it, I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's like not even in line with the Bible, actually. Like you read the Bible, you read what Jesus and his apostles said and wrote. Like, you're supposed to be out of the world, not in the world. You're supposed to be a peculiar people. You're supposed to be set apart. Like, you're supposed to be the weird ones. You're not supposed to be changing laws and taking over government and telling everyone else how to live. That's like the opposite of what Jesus called his followers to do. He called them to love people and be merciful and help the poor and needy and the afflicted and those who can't help themselves, the widowers, the orphans, etc. But somehow, and European imperialism turned into American manifest destiny that turned into Christian nationalism, suddenly Christianity as a religion became a political movement. And I find it so ironic because my dad, as a Church of Christ preacher, was not a premillennialist. I got into this discussion recently on a group on Facebook, and it was not a heated discussion or a debate. It was someone who was not Christian and had never heard the terms premillennialist or non-premillennialist. So if any of my listeners don't know what I'm talking about, let me clarify. Premillennialists are those who believe that Revelation is a literal book and that there is going to be a rapture and then tribulation for seven years and the Antichrist will reign and it's all going to be a very literal thing that suddenly all the Christians are gone and then for like seven years there's going to be horrible things happening and the world's going to be awful and 
uh, all the non-believers that are left behind have a second chance to really believe this time. Uh, Non-premillennialists don't believe this. They believe that Revelation is a figurative book, which, quite frankly, makes sense. It was written in apocryphal writing style, which was supposed to be figurative. If you talk to people who are not premillennialists, and they will tell you, if you're reading the book of Revelation, it shows a pattern. This is a pattern of human history that repeats itself. And one of the biggest things, if you look at the beast that is described and all of the things that culminate around it, the description is government rising to power and oppressing true believers. And it is supported by religion. There is a religion that supports the oppression of the true believers. Ironically, the religion that is supporting our government today, as it is with most of the laws that are passed and most of the oppression that is happening, is the Evangelical Christian Church. Ha! It's almost like they're the bad guys in their own book. So as I started looking at things from a different perspective. And let me back up a little bit and clarify. I was 24 years old when I realized that my father was an abusive man. Which is crazy to say. I mean, he literally beat me with a tuba six when I was almost 15. And there were so many other things. But I was 24 when I finally realized this is not how someone's supposed to treat you. This is abusive behavior. He is an abusive person. I am being abused. And it was years before I realized how abusive my mother also was and how she enabled his abuse, encouraged his abuse even, um... And so many other things in relation to that. But I was 24 years old when I realized my father was abusive. And at that point, it was just like a complete mind fuck Because he had spent his, my entire life justifying every bit of his abuse by the Bible. And saying this is how God wanted him to treat me. This is how God wanted him to be as a father and as a husband etc etc and it was the reason why when I was about 13 14 I decided I didn't want anything to do with church and Christianity because I absolutely believed him in everything he said and I'm like fuck if this is what God wants I don't want anything to do with this God I would rather be in hell separated from him for eternity than spend eternity with some fucking masochist who says, hey dads, beat your kids. Hey dads, be mean to your kids. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was like, if this is Christianity, fuck it. I'll go to hell. I didn't stop believing. I fully believed. 
but I didn't want any part of it. I was like, I don't care that you rule the world. I don't care that you created everything. You're mean. You are a mean, mean God. And I don't want any part of this. I'd rather suffer an eternity of torment than spend eternity with a mean God. He beat me so badly that the Stockholm Syndrome set in and I devoted the rest of my teen years and early 20s into being the best Christian that I could be. I was so repentant and carried so much guilt and shame for those thoughts that I had and for that period of rebellion. And then when I was 24, I was like, no, this is, this is fucked up. In fact, I don't think this is actually what the Bible says. I think he twisted it. I'm pretty sure he just made shit up and twisted verses to say exactly what he wanted them to say to justify beating his wife and kids. And I'm going to figure out what it really says. And that was when really my deconstruction began was trying to figure out what does the Bible really say? What is the truth? And it was a study that spanned almost a decade that culminated in me leaving the church. And this is why I get extremely I don't want to say triggered, but I have pretty extreme emotional reactions when people try to tell me I'm viewing things from my abuser's viewpoint or I'm only thinking of things from the people that hurt me or I'm viewing the church as the people who hurt me and not seeing Jesus and not seeing the whole I think Jesus was real. I don't know about the reality of the Son of God, the Word made flesh, God incarnate, all of that. But I think that Jesus was a prophet of sorts who had some very, very good ideas and things that people should follow. I think if more people lived like Jesus, the world would be a better place. But the thing is, Christianity, the church, doesn't live like Jesus. They don't even believe like Jesus. They are a religion that is built on oppression. And it is focused on death. And that's not something I want to be a part of. But I digress. So I started this journey to figure out what was real and what made sense and what was truth and what held up to the test.
You know, this thing they talk about in church a lot. If you've not been in church, this is a thing they talk about in church a lot. You hold the test to the fire. You know, you hold the thing, whatever it is, whatever you're testing, whatever you're trying to figure out. Is this truth? Is this not truth? Is this real? Is this not real? Is this good? Is this bad? You hold it to the fire and it will be refined in the fire of truth. It will be gold or it will be eliminated. And for a very long time, the truth test that I used, it was told things up to the Bible. And so many things started falling away. Because the first thing I did was I looked at the Bible itself. I started doing deeper studies into the original texts and how they were translated. And for example, and I've done an episode on this, all of the verses condemning homosexuality, if you look at them in their original text, they are not condemning homosexuality. They are not condemning consensual relationships between adults. They are condemning the predation of children. Okay, so we're condemning pe pedophilia, not homosexuality. That makes sense. And that was one thing that always struck me. And it struck me a lot as I first started my study. You know, these things that we talk about a lot that are horrible, horrific things. Child abuse, pedophilia, rape. Where are they condemned in the Bible? The New Testament specifically. They're not. They're not mentioned. These are horrific things. Wouldn't this be offensive to God? Why is it not specifically mentioned? The problem is, it is mentioned. It was just translated differently by people who found it convenient to change the words so they were not sinners. Funny how that works. looking at the word fornication. It's not a condemnation of consensual sex between consenting adults who are unmarried and our, our concept of marriage is so much different than the concept of marriage that people in biblical times had in on top of that it is a condemnation of rape and sexual slavery huh those two things together alone means that the church has been condemning innocent people who god would never condemn For millennia. Oh, what about the woman caught in adultery? Adultery is a different thing. Adultery is a broken promise. Adultery is lying. Adultery is sneaking around. Adultery is cheating on your spouse. It is not the same thing as having sex without a vow. Purity culture 
has ruined generations. It has created pedophiles out of boys who grew into men. It has created doormats out of every girl that was forced through it. It has created abusive spousal relationships. It has destroyed lives. It has pulled people away from truth and goodness and the God they claim to serve. All because of misinterpreted passages and they are willfully misinterpreted in my opinion. Willfully so. Because it is convenient to look down on someone as lower than you, as less than you, to elevate yourself as better than. Christians claim to not want to do that. Christians claim to not do that. But quite frankly, I've never met a Christian who didn't do that. And I know some Christians who are very good people. Who have a lot of love in their heart. But I have never known one who did not put themselves up. At least on a step, if not on a pedestal. To look down at the lowly state of the sinners. With the moral superiority to be able to offer them a hand up. So what does that have to do with becoming liberal? Like everything? So the first part of it, let's just look at the economic part of it. So why are so many Christians capitalists? Well, I'll tell you. Have you ever read The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith? Let me sum it up for you. There is an invisible hand that controls the economy. It makes sure that resources go where they need to go and that everything is balanced. That invisible hand is God. That's why Christians are capitalists. Because they believe that capitalism is the freedom for God to work. That just sums it up. And it's, it is minimalizing it. There is a lot more philosophy and thought that goes into it. And I'm not going to... be so reductionist to say that's the entirety of their argument. I was right-wing for a very long time um, and was very passionate about it and I will say that there is a lot of thought and philosophy and discourse that goes into that and it is not lacking in intellect or reason or logic but I will say that it is founded in a philosophical slash religious belief that there is an all-powerful being that controls the entirety of the world. Okay, so let's say that's true. I don't believe that's true, but let's say it's true. If you read through the Old Testament, you will become very bored. Um, but if 
within your boredom and zoning out and dissociation from reading through the first five books of the Old Testament, you happen to find yourself upon the rules given to the Jewish people by Jehovah, you'll find that they were commanded every 50 years to have a jubilee. What was a jubilee? Well, it was a celebration. There was feasting and sacrifices and devotion to God and gratitude to God and celebrating with each other and eating a lot of yummy food and drinking yummy things and harvesting and also forgiving debt. Whoops. Yeah, that was part of God's plan was that every 50 years all debts were forgiven. All of them. Small ones, big ones, whatever. What about the people who paid their debts off? Don't they get anything? No, that's not how it works. Every 50 years, clean slate. Wipe it clean. Redo. Start over from fresh. This is what he wanted. Why? Because he did. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Isn't that what the Christians always say? It's in the Bible. But if you talk to any Christian nationalist, right-wing conservative Christian about forgiving student loan debts, they lose their ever-loving minds. Why? Because what about the people who paid their debts already? These kids knew what they were getting into. Never mind that kids are like 17, 18 when they get into debt and they were told to do so by their parents and your prefrontal cortex that controls your rational thought and all of the things that contribute to maturity doesn't fully develop until you're 26. They knew what they were doing. Did they though? Did they though? No, they didn't. I guarantee they didn't. I certainly didn't. My dad told me to do it, so I did it. And granted, I was a woman in an evangelical Christian household, and I did whatever I was told to do, because that's how life worked. And I know I'm not unique in that, but I know that is not the majority of student loan borrowers, but I also know that loan companies are extremely predatory, especially when it comes to student loans. Look at the stories of people in overwhelming student loan debt. I read a story recently where someone had taken out a certain amount on loans and had made all his payments on time had made mostly the minimum payments, but had paid more when he could, and owed more than he originally borrowed. Fifteen years after borrowing the money. That's predatory. He had paid more into it multiple times. I think he had paid like two or three times the amount of the original loan and still owed over the amount of the original loan. That's not, 
oh, well, you took the loan out. You should pay it back. This is not paying back the money you owed. This is predatory lending practices that are evil and would have Jesus turning over tables in the temple. It's predatory. But they refuse to look at that. It's just all, oh, kids are irresponsible. People just want things handed to them. No. No, people just want to be able to live. And that was another big thing in me becoming liberal. Is realizing that the majority of the world is not evil. You look at the people who live next to you, who sit next to you on the bus or in the classroom or your co-workers. We all want the same thing. We all want are trying to do what's right, whatever we believe right is. Trying to live right. Trying to provide for ourselves and our families. Just have a peaceful life. It's what most people want. The media would like us to believe that we are all at odds with one another. That we're all fighting each other. The only reason we're all fighting each other is because there is a hugely rich media in our country that has gained its money and its power and influence by pitting people against each other, by sensationalist journalism. And the sensationalist journalism that prevails today is not the Hindenburg It's not World War One or two or anything like that. It's telling everyone that their neighbor wants to take their money and their rights. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be an evangelical conservative and your neighbor wants to make sure that your babies die and that your marriage isn't considered valid. And they want to take all of your income so they can give it to doctors who just want to slaughter babies. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum, then your neighbor just wants to take all of your money and give it to churches and make sure that churches never have to pay a dime while raking in record profits. And they want to take away your rights to marry your boyfriend. They want to make it illegal for you to exist as you exist. And the reality of the situation is that while everyday people hold some of these extremist viewpoints, most everyday people And most everyday people can get along, even if they disagree. I am now very, very liberal and pagan. And I work in the most right-wing Christian environment that I have ever worked in in my entire career. And while I don't really hang out with my co-workers... 
we get along. We can work together. We can have conversations. We can even have conversations about things we disagree with and disagree about and be respectful to each other. The world is not so at odds as the media would have you believe. And ironically, that was another thing that led me to being more liberal. Was not viewing everyone as my enemy. Everyone wasn't out to get me or drag me down or change me from who I was. But honestly, the biggest thing that led me to being as liberal as I am to stop being pro-life, to stop believing in capitalism, to stop wanting government regulation of marriage or whatever happened before I left the church. It happened because I loved Jesus so much. And even though I was never allowed to have a what would Jesus do bracelet because my parents thought it was disrespectful and blasphemous. I did think, what would Jesus do? And looking at Old Testament passages that gave recipes to priests for abortifacients. To determine whether a woman had committed adultery or not, I realized that not all life is precious in the sight of God before it's born. That it is the air, the breath in the lungs that makes the difference. And as much as I value the lives of my two babies who I lost before they were born, that doesn't mean that every life before it is born has a place in the world or is valued even by God. And I looked and I saw the liberalism of Jesus with forgiveness and healing and I realized that everything about capitalism and everything about conservatism was in opposition to everything that Jesus stood for and believed and I could no longer align myself with that political mentality I was a liberal before I ever left the church and I was in the minority but I was a liberal because I loved Jesus teachings and I know a few people who believe the same way but not many because in this country, to be Christian also means to be right-wing, capitalist, republicanism, 
conservatism is equated with Christianity. I remember sermons being preached by my father who claimed that political party affiliation had nothing to do with religious belief. Sermons preached about the difference between Republicans and Democrats and how could you align yourself with God and still be a Democrat? How could you be liberal and call yourself a follower of God? Because the thing about the church in America that no one wants to admit and no one by that I mean in the church is that it's not just a religion anymore. It's a political movement. They have involved themselves in politics and are very proud of it. They have huge political influence and financial influence over politics. They're not just believers. They are a political force and use their influence to hurt those who live and believe differently than them. They think that they are doing the work of God, but God never called them to political action. Read the fucking New Testament. You're not called to political action. You're called to be kind. You're called to be loving. You're called to be merciful. You're called to be generous and compassionate and content and humble. And persecuted. But you can't stand to be persecuted. So you get involved in politics. So you're not persecuted. God never asked you to do that. But you do. And you persecute others. <laughs> not sure if my... uh microphone picked up that sound but if you heard that very loud thump that was just my cat knocking off a mason jar don't mind her at any rate realizing that the church was the complete opposite of what Jesus called them to be was one of the first nails in the coffin of me leaving the church and it was one of the biggest catalysts to me becoming a liberal hope you've gained something from this podcast episode hope if you are someone who does not think like me that it has at least caused you to think and examine things for a long time, I intentionally surrounded myself with people who thought differently than me because I wanted to challenge myself. 
And I still surround myself with people who think differently than me because I want to continue to challenge myself because I don't think you ever really fully arrive at knowing what truth is until you're dead. And I think it's important to always challenge yourself because if you secure yourself in a vacuum, in an echo chamber, then you never grow. And isn't that the whole point of life? Happy Labor Day to you all. If you are enjoying the podcast, I hope you'll give it a follow wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We're on pretty much every platform. We're also on social media, Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like or a follow there. And if you have an episode topic suggestion, email me at mosaicinprogress at gmail.com. And I will see you next time on the podcast as we both continue to work on our Mosaic in Progress.